0: Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message.
1: Let me talk to you for a second. Let me tell you a story about why I why I wrote this message. Um, I was listening uh, to, I was on a four-hour road trip, and I was listening to the podcast for just on random, and this guy came on, he had a PhD in social anthropology. Whether he was religious or not, he certainly made no issue of it. Um, and he was just simply talking about the anthropological responses to pandemics. How do human beings act in the middle of pandemics Nothing has changed much. And how do human beings act at the end of them? And he went back through the last eight, great. The smallpox pandemic of 251, 336 AD, which is universally agreed upon as the worst year to ever be alive. The reason is, is because a volcano erupted over Iceland. No one knew where Iceland was. There was no modern mapping. And it made the sky of Europe go dark for two years. It was quite a crazy sort of thing. Justinian plague 341. Anyway, he goes goes through all of them. And here's the part that's relevant to us. Here's what he said. He said, at the end of every pandemic pandemic in the history of the world, here's what happens. You have a three-year rush of people wanting to be regrounded in faith and spirituality. The reason is, is because of the effects of isolation, the delusion of freedom, and what they put their faith in, they failed to deliver. Now, what that means for us is that we have a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity from January 2023 to January 2026, where people are going to be rushing back in here asking questions about faith, Asking questions about Jesus. It gives us an opportunity to reclaim the beauty of words that have lost their beauty. Yeah. Words like Christian. Yeah. The word Christian is not beautiful. And, it, and it's not the left's fault. It's not the woke's fault. It's us. It's us. Words don't matter. How people picture words working matters. So, someone that doesn't know me, if they say, Are you a Christian? I just always say, I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea if I'm a Christian. They'll say, come on, man, it's a yes or no question. I mean, no, 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 I don't know what you think a Christian is. Yeah. And because I don't know what you think a Christian is, I'm not gonna say yes. Yeah. Your idea of Christianity might be lunatics, right? So you tell me what you think a Christian is, I'll tell you if I'm that. Christians are not climate experts. We're not sex experts, we're not politics experts, we're not. We're not Bible experts either. Nor are we called to be. We're called to, we're not called to get every verse of the Bible, right? We're called to fulfill scripture, how Jesus applied scripture. We're not supposed to be known for our amateur predictions of doom. We're not supposed to be known for that. Like, like let me give you an example, okay? It's possible to say something true that creates an untrue imagination, okay? And I'm going to do it to you, right? I'm telling you ahead of time so there's no manipulation. I'm going to say something true. It will be an untrue imagination. One day you'll stand in front of Jesus and he'll judge you. That is true. What's not true is the imagination I just created in the Western world. In the Western world, a judge is a courtroom official deciding if you're in or out, guilty, not guilty, that kind of thing, right? But the problem is, is that the word judge in Hebrew is not a court official. It's shofet, which is defender, right? Psalm 84, God is the judge of the orphan. Why is God judging, you guilty orphans? No, what? He's defending the orphan. And there's a whole book in the Bible called the book of Judges, These people aren't courtroom officials. They're people anointed by God to set people free. So when I say you're going to stand in front of Jesus and he'll judge you, what I mean is one day you'll finally be in the presence of the one fully anointed by God to set you free. That is a more beautiful picture. In that sense, I want you to be the most judgmental church in Melbourne. What I mean by that is I want you to be people willing to engage people's broken stories, not to hurt them or criticize them or condemn them or shame them, but to involve ourselves in the story to make a better narrative out of it. That's beautiful. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciple by your love. Not by your vax stance, your mass stance, your health stance, your climate opinion, your political opinion, your opinion about sexuality. Not, Not by your amateur predictions of doom, but by your love. Some messages are meant to challenge us. Some messages are meant to inspire us. Some messages are meant to make us laugh. Some messages are, frankly, meant to entertain us. That has a place, too. Some messages are meant to inform us and and so teach us something we didn't know before. But some messages, and I hope this is this one today, are meant to recenter us. The the temptation of the church in the next season will not be sin and scandal. It'll be using our energy for tangential things instead of the main thing. Which leads me to the book of John. The, 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 the first, first John is this, um, is this letter, it's a short letter, and, and it's, it's a five-chapter letter about the implications of what it means to be a people of love, what that looks like in our world, what's a good imagination of how love works. Because if I was to say, we're, we're to be known for our love, that doesn't matter either. There's a lot of people I know that I don't want loving me, because the way they think love works is jacked up, right? So John, John's dealing with this. I'm going to read from the middle of the book, but that's inappropriate. I gotta set the context up. So instead of setting context up, I'm just gonna summarize the entire book of 1 John in 30 seconds. You're gonna have to pay very close attention. Here we go. First John chapter 1, everything you saw in Jesus Christ was true since before the foundation of the world. Jesus did not inaugurate a new reality about God. He just simply showed you what God was always like from the beginning, because God was like Jesus, exactly like Jesus. God had always been like Jesus. We did not know that, but now we do. And when God starts forgiving the sins of the world through Jesus Christ, he doesn't just forgive the sins of a small group of people in one part of the world. He offers that love to everybody everywhere with the hope that everybody everywhere will be so inspired by that level of love that they treat their world better and in love. Because you cannot say you love God and not love your fellow man anyone who says they love God and doesn't love their fellow man they're a liar and the truth is not in them because the world is tired of people who say they love Jesus but when you look at their life they don't love anything else I thought it was okay at first your response was underwhelming but now we got there it's in that context that we read this first John chapter 3 verse 11 But this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. For we know that we've passed from death to life because we ranted on the internet. No, because we forwarded that meme for this on your Facebook wall if you're not ashamed of Jesus. Ah, no, no. We know we've passed from death to life because everybody knows how we feel about end times. No, come on. We know we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. And anyone who hates a brother or sister, well, that person's a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This has massive implications. Anytime I preach, I want Jesus to get bigger, the cross to work better, the resurrection to be central, and scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I hope that's your experience as we explore where we are. you got to ask what happened, and you got to ask what's happening in me right now because of what happened. So let's walk through this. Next slide. Evidently, when you love, you're experiencing some version of eternal life now. And conversely, when you hate, you're experiencing some version of death now. The reason 1 John is a stumbling block for a lot of Westerners is we read everything through, through eternal, like, like afterlife. We read everything through heaven and hell. John's not dealing with that in this letter. He's writing a letter to Christians. This is about how Christians are supposed to live in the world. See, for us, life and death are, about, are static images. You live, you die. Fair. That's how we think of it. That's not how they thought of it life and death in John's world were dynamic dimensions or realms that you moved in and out of and in scripture it's presented as a choice if you're living in God's ways you're said to be living in life if you're if you're experiencing that to the full it was called eternal life for them eternal life was not something that starts when you die eternal life was something that starts now and when you die it just carries on right and if you're if you're outside of God's ways you're said to be living in death darkness or decrease in scripture is presented as a choice Life or death, choose life that you might live. This is, not, this is not literal life. No one chooses when they're born. No one chooses when they die. This is how John thought about those words. Maybe put some more language on this. Next slide. So for us, uh, we obsess about how to have life after death. Like we're obsessed with it. And, and fair enough, fair enough. Like get that sorted, okay? But, but it, it was hardly an obsession in the first century. Look, if, if I died today and you came to my funeral on Wednesday, and then I showed up here next Sunday, I would ruin your service, right? It would go something like this. Oh my goodness, Shane Willard's back. Get that man a mic. <laughs> Musicians, move. <laughs> a guy that has just risen from the dead, we're gonna have a Q&A with a guy that just rose from the dead. What would the first question be? It wouldn't even be, are you okay? You want some water? You look a little dusty. Yeah. No. It would be finally. Can you tell us what happens after you die? Yeah. If only there was ever someone who lived and died and rose again. <laughs> so there's this guy named Jesus. And he lives and dies and rose again. and He comes back from the dead. And how much does he talk about the afterlife? None. How much they talk about heaven? None. How much did he talk about hell? None. I find that unbelievable. What I find more unbelievable is no one asked. Here's what you would expect. Oh, great! You're back. What was heaven like? What was hell like? We heard you preach there. How'd your altar call go? Did you clean out hell, you rascal? You. You know, when you rose from the dead tombs, everywhere emptied. Where'd those people come from? All these weird things they could have asked him. Not one person even asked. Their response was, "Oh, great! You're back. Are we going to take over Rome now?" Is it now heaven's coming to the earth? See, we obsess about how to have life after death. What John's dealing with in this book is how to have life before death. How to actually live here now today. The word he uses is metababakaman. It just means to change basis. Like if you're finding your life on the basis of death and you wanna know you've been moved to the basis of life, your first choice is to choose to be a loving person. To use the 24-hour gift of God's breath that he gave you today to love our world and to make an impact in our world. They tell me depression stats amongst teenagers are at an all-time high. I believe that. What I also find is, I find that unbelievable. I can believe something and find it unbelievable. Like if you're in your 60s and you hear a 16-year-old going, I'm not coping with the stress I'm under. Isn't, aren't you going, "What, what exactly about your life is stressful? You have more money, more entertainment, more information, more things to do, less work at the palm of your hand than any of us ever had. According to Forbes Magazine, the generation turning 19 today has more money available to them at 19 than the previous four generations before it combined had at 19. And you know that to be true. 19-year-olds today with a straight face. Hey, what's your plan? Hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm thinking about taking a year off and walking around Europe. I'm going to find myself. Listen. If you're 47 years old or older, could you imagine telling your dad that you were gonna take a year off to find yourself, (laughs) your dad would have been like, oh look, I found you, get a job. (laughs) Nonetheless, I I, I was talking to this mom and her daughter. I don't do counseling, although my master's is in clinical psychology, I don't do counseling, but I, I was out there. She said, would you talk to my daughter? She struggles with depression. And listen, disclaimer: I have a master's degree in clinical psychology. I take mental health very seriously. If you um, are struggling with your mental health, please seek the services of a competent professional and not your cousin Earl on YouTube. That said, <laughs> that said, sometimes depression is just a matter of not using our breath right. I, I, I asked this girl, I said, tell me about your normal day. She was watching TikTok five hours a day. Listen, you can't take the 24-hour gift of God's breath and use five hours of it watching nine-second videos of cats doing handstands and not be depressed. Of course you're depressed. John says there's a better way to live. It's called love. Again, what does that mean? What what does that mean for our world? Let me show you what he says. Next slide. So John says one entry point into life is to loving each other. And here's the example he uses, and then we'll read it. He says, think about it like this. All of life is a gift. If you want to see the world, how Jesus saw the world, there's two ways to see it. One is that you earned your life. Now, if you earned your life, you can be a racist. You can be a misogynist, you can be a hoarder, you can be greedy, because you earned it. You can do what you want with your life. But as a way Jesus saw the world is, no, 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 no. All of life is a gift, all of it. And I mean some big things too, like life free. None of us deserve to be here. None of us deserve to be born. None of us introduced our parents. None of us gave them amorous feelings for each other. None of us. And because of where I am, none of us deserve where we're born. We all woke up today in Australia, a top five greatest nation on the earth, a nation with motor cars, paved roads, stores that prepackaged food for us, clean water in our taps, machines that do washing, other machines that do drying, world class healthcare right down the road and it's largely free or at least very, very, very affordable. This is one of the greatest places on earth. When I hear Australians complain about Australia, let me be blunt, where are you going to go? I've traveled the world. Option B will suck worse. Like, come on, man. Don't ever buy into life. A lack of perspective is the enemy of hope. Like, somebody told me the other day, man, Australia really persecutes Christians. Persecutes Christians? Like, what? Life's free. Hey, here's another free one. Breath. Everybody take a deep breath. Free. And we all take it for granted. Unless you have asthma. If you have asthma, you don't. You carry your little puffer thing around because you might lose your breath. It's a pretty valuable gift. But, you know, the value of a gift isn't really realized until it's threatened. No one really knows. If you ever had your breath taken from you, you know how important it is. Like, I choked once. It's only happened once. I choked. I'll spare you the details, but... I was meeting someone for the first time 17 years ago, and let's just say I desperately wanted to make a good first impression. And I failed. <laughs> I bit a piece of calamari in half, and it had a vein, and half of it went in my esophagus. The other half went in my windpipe. and totally cut my air off. I, I, I was making noises you can't believe. Trying, I've never heard it before in my life. I can't reproduce it. It was just anything to get it. Anything. Everything I thought was important was not important. My first impression was not important. She didn't call back, and I didn't care. Next. I just wanted to breathe, right? Money, not important. I would wrote a check for everything I owned for one more breath. And also be very careful of saying things like, I'd never be okay with that. No way. I'd never, ever, ever. I'd never be okay with that. Careful. You don't know what you'll be okay with if your breath's taken from you. I was okay. I didn't think I'd be okay with a lot of things. There's a lot of things that night I wasn't okay with, but I was okay that night. Like an Asian man I've never met putting his fingers in my mouth. I'm normally not okay with that. But that night I loved it. Somebody said, he's choking! And this little 4 foot 11 inch Thai man, he must have owned the Thai restaurant, come out of the kitchen, put me in a reverse headlock. He shoved his fingers right down my mouth and I loved it I was like oh yeah get you some of that right normally not okay with that that night I loved it because my breath was gone forgiveness is free doesn't cost us anything forgiveness like come on resurrection's free resurrection's not something to believe in by the way neither is Jesus Jesus is not someone to believe, people believe, I believe in Jesus. What does that mean? Demons believe in Jesus? Jesus is not someone to believe in. He's somebody to fundamentally shape the way we see all things. That's two different things. (laughs) Resurrection didn't happen. What's happening everywhere? It means death doesn't get the last word. New creation gets triggered when suffering and death happens. It's happening right now. It's on your skin. That skin's 28 days old. Didn't exist 28 days ago. And, and, And you know that intuitively. This is why in the winter, when you wake up, you have dandruff on your pillowcase You don't panic. You don't go, oh, no, I'm losing skin at an alarming rate. (laughs) At this rate, I'll be dead in 28 days. No, just death triggers life. That's free. These are big things. Well, that has huge implications. Like, next slide. Like, if, if all of life is free and it's a gift, then certain things don't belong. Greed doesn't belong. Hoarding doesn't belong. Murder. Murder doesn't belong because murder says my gift of life is more valuable than yours. Just doesn't belong. Complaining doesn't belong. Why? Because if you complain about a gift, the problems with the gift receiver, not the gift giver. The, which, this is rhetorical, don't answer me out loud. How many of us have complained to God about our life in the last 30 days? Imagine the complaint department in heaven about Australia. My goodness, man. And there's nothing compelling about, about focusing on what you don't have. The most inspiring people are the ones flourishing in the field God gave them, not the ones wanting everybody else. That, that's the problem with social media. We fall in love with their fake life more than we appreciate our real one. And that's the whole problem, right? Like, let, let me illustrate this. I, I, a year, 23 years ago, I was a single adults pastor at a very big church. I loved it. We had a lot of fun. We met on Monday night. The last Monday night I was there was 270 single adults in this thing. I loved it. I loved it. Except for the fact that single adults are notorious for obsessing over the one thing they don't have, namely a spouse. So half my week was spent listening to this nonsense. Shane, I want to be married. I just want to be married. Shane, I want to be married. Shane, pray for me to be married. I just want to be married. Shane, pray for me to be married. Would you pray for me to be married? Shane, I want to be married. I just want to be married. I just want to be married. No, you don't. Look, follow my logic here. If you're not coping with the stress of being single... You don't have a prayer on earth coping with the stress of being married. A single person's prayer tickles me. It goes something like this. Dear blonde-haired, blue-eyed, English-speaking Jesus. Shane here. I'm 27, I'm able-bodied, and I'm single. Let me tell you about my life, Lord. I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't have to run it by anybody, do what I want to do when I want to do it. And most importantly, Lord Jesus, no one on earth is spending my money other than me. But despite all these things that I know sounds awesome, I'm still stressed. So would you entrust me with one of your beloved daughters in order to make my life harder? (laughs) Ridiculous. My other job at the church, because I have a master's degree in clinical psychology, was I was the church psychotherapist. (laughs) And 90% of church counseling is marriage counseling. So half my week was, hey, we wanna be married, we wanna be married. The other half of the week was, Shane, we wanna be single. We wanna be single. The married people wanted to be single. The single people wanna be married. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I can hook y'all up. I don't know what to do. <laughs> no one wanted to bloom in the field God plant. Look, the, the, look, if you're married, be the best married person in the room. What other hope do you have? Pray for a comet to come to earth to bring you sweet relief? No? And if you're single, be the best single person in the room. The most compelling single people aren't the ones believing God for a spouse. They're the ones saying yes to the infinite possibilities God has in their life now with the throttle on the ground. That's compelling. Look, a 90-second aside for a second. And I need to talk to the single adults. And at the end of this, you married people, better say amen. Okay? I'm right about this. All right. If you're single, right here. All right? Right right here, right here, right? All right. right. Number one, there's nothing compelling about focusing on the one thing you don't have. Most compelling people are flourishing in the field they're planted in. That's number one. Number two, you don't need to find the one. That's just stupid. You need to become the one. The one you're looking for is looking for. That's number two. Number three, put your list away, okay? Nothing objectifies a human being like making a list about them. Are you kidding me? Let's say you're going on your sixth date and it's going well. And this is the conversation. You know what? Five years ago, me and Jesus had a conversation about you, and we made a list, and you tick every single box. (laughs) Okay? If you're going to make a list, don't make a list about what they bring to the table. Make a list about what you bring to the table. That's number three. And have you seen these lists? Come on! These people don't exist. This guy is a while back now. He's like, Pastor Shane, I want you to pray over my list. I'm believing God for a wife. I'm believing God for a wife. I said, let me see your list. (laughs) This woman doesn't exist. She was blonde for the sake of appropriateness. Curvy. She was highly educated, successful. She had money, and she was emotionally low-maintenance. All in one power-packed package. (laughs) I... I said, mate. That tells you where he lived, right? Geelong. Um, I said, mate. This girl's a ten. He said, of course she's a 10, Pastor Shane. When you, when you believe God, you believe God for a 10. He's the God of more than enough. He's the God of the possible. Of course you believe God for a 10. What's the problem with believing God for a 10? I said, the problem is, bro, you're a four. <laughs> like on your best day, you're a four. <laughs> Girls like this don't marry people like you. Girls like this marry brain surgeons. The last thing you need is for God to bring this woman in your life. She wouldn't give you the time of day. What you need to do is become a seven yourself. Lower your standards 30% and something might happen. Number four, never, ever, 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 ever ask someone to change while you're dating them. (laughs) Dating is someone's sincerest attempt to impress you. If their sincerest attempt to impress you fails to impress you, leave. When you're dating, pick the thing about them that annoys you the most. Multiply that thing by five. Add some occasional horrendous smells, and you've got marriage. If you still love them, you probably found the one. And all the married people said. (laughs) Moving on. Next slide. The idea John's saying is this. Since we receive what we don't deserve, we should treat others the same. Here's how John defines love. Love is a function by which we intentionally treat people as they are worth and not as they deserve. The idea is don't believe in Jesus. Jesus treated you not as you deserve, but as you're worth. And don't just believe in that. Don't just receive it. Don't want mercy for yourself and justice for everybody else. Treat other people that way. Listen, in the next three years, there's going to be people coming in here and all kinds of messy stories. And if we're honest, we all have our own messy story. And you can always find a Bible verse that tells you they deserve something. That is not Christianity. Christianity is love, which is treating people as they are worth and never as they deserve. That's my sort of interpretation of it. Let me show you what he actually said. This is the exact words. I think I got it fairly, fairly close. Next slide. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In other words, don't just believe in it behave do this treat others the same right that's love that's what that is now watch a specific example if anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them how can the love of god be in that person dear children let us not love with words or speech but with actions and truth for john love is a function of a demonstration of love for our world it's not a function of announcement Loving Jesus is not saying I love Jesus, although please say that. It's not wearing the cross, it's not the thing, it's not the fish on the car, it's not forwarding the meme. Share this on your Facebook wall if you're not ashamed of Jesus. Agree if you think God's the only hope. Ah, loving Jesus is not a function of announcing our love for Jesus. Loving Jesus is almost entirely a function of a demonstration of love for our world, right? Watch his, watch his specific thing. He says, here's what love is, right? Treat people as they are worth, not as they deserve, right? And then he gives an example. If, 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 you, if it's within your power to meet a need, and you see a need, and you do nothing, how can God be in that? Yeah. What is love? Very simply stated, it's an intent to treat people as they are worth and not as they deserve. And when you see a need, and you know you can meet the need, everything in you compels you to meet that need. Like quit praying for things that you can just do. Somebody says, I don't have any food. Well, I'll pray for you to have food. If it's within your power to buy them food, they've been praying for food. You be the answer to the prayer. Right? Like he says, if you I love what he does here. He he frees us from the weight of carrying responsibility for things we can't do anything about. That's the temptation to use energy towards things we have no power to control while ignoring the need right in front of us that we could do something about? Come on. So now, that sentence doesn't read well. If you have material possession and see a brother or sister in need, but you have no pity on them, doesn't read well. I, it, actually, Bible translators have sat in rooms and nobody, I'm talking about language experts, can't agree on how to translate this thing. Let, let, let me show you four of them. Next slide. So the NIV says, have no pity on them. The NLT, show no mercy to them. The ISV, withholds compassion from them. The ASV, shut up compassion toward them. All basically the same thing. But like, if you see a need, and you know you can meet the need, and you have no pity, you show no mercy, you shut up compassion. Like, but it makes you think, what does it actually say? My my, my favorite, my favorite translation in this one sentence, and it just nails it, is the King James Version. Let me show you that one. Next slide. Shutteth up thou bowels on them. (laughs) <laughs> isn't it amazing how the English language has changed in the 1600s it was a good thing to open your bow on somebody it was a metaphor for being generous or kind um I, I could tell you in this one instance in this one instance the King James Version absolutely nails it it just nails it and the reason is is because in the first century the center of your life was not your heart it is for us. That's how we speak. We go, I love you with all my heart. That song moved my heart. Boy, that thing moved my heart. I put my whole heart into that, right? I, when we speak metaphorically about the, the, our center of our life, we talk about our heart. Not in the first century. All those Bible verses about seek the Lord with all your heart, trust me, if you go look it up in the original language, it's not heart, it's bowel, right? The reason is, is because in their mind, the center of life was the lower part of your stomach. Very simply, babies come out of here, Right? And so the idea is if that's where life grows, that's where the center of life is. You see women get, so this is where life grows. So you would speak of the bowel as the, let me illustrate. So if you were dating someone in the first century and you you said, sweetie, I just love you with all my heart. Well, that's creepy and weird. That beating thing in your chest, that's just strange, right? You're probably gonna break up, right? But if you were dating someone in the first century, what you would say is, is, sweetie, (laughs) Oh, Oh, sweetie, I just want you to know, I just love you with all my bow. Well, if you said that, she'd be like, oh, you move my bowels too. It was that. Let me show it to you in the original language. This is the original language. Next slide. So the original Greek John wrote it in, right? Here's what he says. It's pretty easy to see. If you see a need and know it's within your power to meet the need and you close ta the shplakna. Your shplakna, your bowel. Essentially, he says, if you see a need and know you can meet the need and you shutteth up your bowels, how can God be in that? Now, we would never say that. We would say, don't close your heart don't close your life don't close off your mercy don't like that's how we would say it in the first century don't close your bow off in other words here's what love is love is treating people as they are worth and not as they deserve and when you see a need and know you can meet the need you open your splackna all over that need that's the idea of love john says you really want to live you tired of being a little depressed you are tired of being a little anxious Wake up every day intentional about love. What does that mean? It means we're going to treat people as they are worth and not as they deserve. And when we see a need and know we can meet the need, we're going to live life with an open splat. John's key to living life. Next slide is simply this. Open your splat. Now, great sermons are not meant to be agreed with nor disagreed with. They're meant to be wrestled with. Let's wrestle for a few minutes about three thoughts. Next slide. Do you experience God yet to leave the same? Are you hearing stories about other people's encounters with God and it changes their life and you're like, "I don't I, like, I don't know." Look, it, it, it might not be you, and it, it's definitely not God, and it might not be that you're a bad person. It could be that you're experiencing God with a closed black knot instead of an open one. To, to be, like, it's, it's statistically improbable there's not at least one of you that's here, but in your mind you're somewhere else. But you can't wonder why you're missing what's going on in here, if in your head you're somewhere else. Yeah. Um, you know Do you relate to someone who's hard to love? You know that person, you just wish God would take them to heaven. you know that one? Maybe, maybe we'll open right, open our schplack now. Um, the most obvious application for today is simply this: Do you see a need and know you can meet the need? I want to pray a prayer with you, and then I'm going to talk to you for about three more minutes, okay? Only if you want to get in on this prayer, um, I invite you to. If, if the Holy Spirit's moving you, please do. If not, don't worry. okay? First prayer, Lord Jesus, may no one ever reject you. Because of how I'm presenting you. If you're willing to pray that. Second prayer. Holy Spirit, would you speak to my heart about a need that is well within my power to meet the need? And then give me the courage to act. Would you look this way? Is there a need and it's within your power to meet the need? It is statistically improbable that there's not at least one of you who could write a check for $100,000. Let me finish. And you wouldn't even feel it. Your net worth would go from 13.4 million to 13.3. You'd be okay. What are you gonna do, bro? Open your shplack, no man. You might say, Shane, seriously, I got like $5. I've only got like $5. Okay, then right here. If you only got $5, then you are not the financial answer to anything you probably need a job so let's take money and set it over here money doesn't exist here's the one here's the one thing we we all have the same amount of time is there not a need around here you could meet simply with your time when I got here today there was nice people greeting me I know where to go because I'm family here but People coming here for the first next three years they will be rushing in here. Somebody's got to show them where the bathroom is. Where do you take kids? What do you do? What's the go? What's the, the, you you mean you can't show up 30 minutes early and be nice to people? That's our thing? God bless me with more. Why would God ever bless us with more if we're not going to use that? Come on, man. Open your splachna. Somewhere, there's someone looking after kids right now. And I don't know who they are, but I love them. Right, because this service is better without children in it. Right? It's true. Shut up. Be quiet. And children shouldn't have to listen to me. I'd be the worst children's pastor on earth. Hi, boys and girls. We're going to talk about splackness now. Can can we not give a couple hours a month to show the love of Christ to children? Come on, man. Open your splackna, no, bro. Say, Shane. Seriously, I hate children. They're disgusting. They're horrible. Okay, you're probably not our children's person. We want to save the children from you. Um, (laughs) But there is a youth ministry. And let me tell you about youth, right? 25 years, they'll be running the joint. We'll be complaining about what they do. Oh, this next generation. You can't complain about what the next generation does if you're not a part of molding the values when it's moldable. Come on. Open your splat, man. There's great music careful if you're not sure if you're good get it checked out first by somebody not named mom right if you're really awesome a couple hours a month come on come on man oh god bless you come on man over here's it, bro say shane you don't know me man you don't know me i'm a jerk no one would want me Okay, a couple thoughts on that. One, if you're a jerk, stop being a jerk. That's first. Second, if what you mean by that is you're an introvert, like you're just people, right? right? It's okay. You could always be a sound guy. There's a wall separating you from the whole room. They could dress you in all black. You could be like a camera ninja. It's fine. There's always a way to live outside of ourselves in love. What is love? It's treating people as they are worth and not as they deserve. And when you see a need, and know you can meet the need. You open your shplakna all over that need.
0: Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God.